Hi, I'm Ann Barker. And I'm Liz James. And you're listening to The Cracked Cup. Okay, so I am grumpy because I have failed as a human this week. <laughs> Uh-oh, how did you fail as a human? I have to tell you the story because you always say I'm so good at failing and you reframe that as an asset. <laughs> this is me trying to be compassionate right now. Just tell me your story. Liz from the future here. What follows now is a really long and incoherent attempt on my part to summarize a Facebook post, which I'm just instead going to read to you, although I am going to delete the F word so that I don't have to mark the podcast as explicit. All right. If you're a native English speaker, you know you can say big green dragon, but you can't say green big dragon. Think about that for a minute. How weirdly forking specific and useless that rule is. I have so many friends who had to learn English, often as a third or fourth language, to this incredibly high level just to be allowed to go to university. Sometimes that's about us all being able to understand each other, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we understand each other fine, but we're correcting grammar to make things proper. If you're someone who does that, please think about it for a second, what you're actually doing. If English is your first language, it is a tremendous privilege. If grammatically proper English is your first language, if you don't say fork it or ain't, then you have double privilege. You speak in what is, for now, the native language of centuries of power. And maybe you put a little work in to perfect your grammar, but you won the race because you started eight feet from the freaking finish line. So if you correct another person's English, you might want to remember how much work they've put into this conversation before it even started. And Put alongside that the fact that you've not lifted a finger to learn their language or to understand their accent or whatever it is and show a little humility. And if you can understand them, but you're trying to teach them to be proper, think about what you're doing. Not only has the supremacy of English meant that they put in all the work and you put in none, you are increasing that work for no good reason. You're saying, I understood you fine, but I want you to keep struggling with this language until I must put in zero effort at all. Even if you're talking to a native English speaker, you are still making a powerful statement about your values. And your vision of an ideal world where we all talk the way you do, rather than an ideal world where we have a bunch of types of English and we learn to be fine with that. I had a woman with a brain disorder apologize to me today for her spelling. A forking brain disorder and she's apologizing for spelling. Sometimes we talk about victimless crimes, but there's also beneficiarily less virtues, and grammar is one of those. More than that, actually, grammar and spelling are virtues that hurt people. People who've learned this language as adults, people who have disabilities, people who speak with swears and grammar that sound uneducated to you but sounds like home to them. People who want to change one tiny pronoun to better reflect their gender and are being told that someone else's sense of grammar is more important than their, than their sense of who they are. When you talk about grammar as a virtue, you're saying that all this carnage is less important than the fact that poor grammar is distracting to you. You're saying that rather than you learning to be less distracted, everybody else has to learn to speak differently. Like grammar and spelling are some kind of higher virtues. I don't know much about virtues, but I do know that any virtue with such a long list of victims is one that I want no part of. So I wrote this very big rant, which I was like, oh, this is well written. I'm calling it in such a fancy way. And I should know whenever I have that feeling that what I'm doing is not good. And so then person after person commented with like, oh, yeah, I've always done this. And you made me think of it differently. Oh, so all the people are feeling shamed. And realized what a jerk I am. Uh -oh. And then I was like, oh, because like I've done it tons, right? So I'm like, if you're only as smart as me rather than as smart as I was eight months ago before I had an experience that you don't have access to. So I hate it when I do that. And I realized that 
All these people who are correcting grammar are correcting grammar because they are excited about language and they love words and they love connection. And if I had done my, my values, which are talk about our goal and we go towards our goal rather than criticize each other for failing and everything that they do wrong. If I had done mm-hmm. my values, I would have said, instead of a vision of an English that is perfect so we can all communicate, which is what you're thinking of, your mm-hmm. love of English, can we channel that love into the idea of we have a world where there's many different Englishes and part of how I communicate with you is that I say ain't or where are you at or mm-hmm. I get my word mm-hmm. tenses mixed up because my first language is French. And that adds beauty and color and mm-hmm. it's not confusing because we've all gotten better at understanding different types of English, which would be easy to do, right? Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? That would be a wonderful world. Wouldn't it have been better if I had written that? <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you a little language yeah. story? Tell me a language story. So just recently, um, we attended a reading by Canada's new parliamentary poet laureate, Louise Bernice Happ. She was doing this wonderful reading from her new book, Awasis, that is coming out in April. So good. So funny. And she was talking about how Cree is not a gendered language. And mm. so... She has two children, a son and a daughter, and is married to a white man. And even 29, 30, 35 years later, she tells him stories about the kids. And then he went to the store, but she was talking about the daughter. (laughs) And she mixes up her genders all the time because she doesn't see them as gendered. So pronouns are just words that you use to mean that person. And all the time he's yelling at her, who are you talking about? <laughs> Did you know, speaking of words that people don't have, do you know that the Maasai don't have a word for sorry? And they mm. also don't really have a concept for it. So like, I'm a Canadian visiting. So like, as soon as I land, I'm like, I need to know yes, no, and how to say sorry. And Slash is like, <laughs> you should start with sorry. <laughs> exactly. And Slash is like, yeah, we don't have that. And I was like, well, what do you have that's like that? And he's like, we don't have... Because sorry, as a Canadian, I use that for like, excuse me, hi, oops, all these kinds of things. And I was like, well, what do you use when you're apologizing? And he said, yeah, we don't really have apologizing in the way it exists in the Western world. And I said, well, what do you do if you do something really bad? And he says, well, I would talk about it, like why I did it or that I wouldn't do that again or how it might make the other person feel. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a ritual of you do a bad thing, you say a word and then the other person says it's okay, and now you've erased it. <laughs> right? And I thought, whoa, that's a very important lesson. <laughs> I had never thought about, but isn't it interesting when you can't apologize, what do you, it actually, right. it's a different concept. They think of redemption differently mm. because they, I assume because they don't have the central Jesus myth of you sinned and you're forgiven that is so central to our culture. I don't know. Like, I have no idea why it is. But Well, your opening story, like if you had just come back and said, sorry, anybody could have taken it any way they wanted, right? It could have been snarky. It could have been just frustrated and walking yeah. away. Nobody would know what that sorry means yeah. unless you use your words to explain it's it. It's a very challenging, interesting word. Mm-hmm. And often I am misunderstood when I use the word sorry in cross-cultural context, particularly yeah. when I'm trying to use it as an accusation to Americans, like when someone does something I don't like, and then I'm like, well, I'm sorry about blah, 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 blah. (laughs) 
and it's clearly an accusation. And then they're like, oh, it's okay. You shouldn't feel bad. And I'm like, I don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> Not even a little. Well, the um, Pyros, the Prairie Youth Radical Organizing School, has been doing education at my congregation around gender and identity and pronouns and things. And they've taught us that when you misgender someone and someone corrects you, we our instinct is to say sorry. Mm-hmm. And then the person who you have inadvertently probably harmed says that's okay, except it's not always. <laughs> and maybe it's the 17th time that day somebody's done that and they're just worn right out. And so now they have taught us to say thank you when someone Which corrects. transforms them into a person who's helping you learn to be a better person rather than a hurt person. Right. And it takes all the pressure off them to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. So sorry is often eliciting that make me feel better, Jean. Well, and also, I recognize that using the wrong pronoun is hurtful to a person and it causes pain. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I necessarily take full responsibility for all the pain it has caused. So mm-hmm. the reason it's hurtful isn't because I used the wrong pronoun in this moment. It's because their life has been a crap storm of pain. <laughs> and the thing I am do- have done has caused a chunk of pain. Right. You've reactivated it. I've reactivated some pain. And I definitely want to correct that. And I want to learn not to do that. And thank you to them for helping me learn not to do that for the next person. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like I need to take on that all of that pain is my responsibility. Especially because if I do that, then they kind of have to justify why they should feel it right if I'm like oh but I didn't intend to I didn't do such a bad thing well now we're in a conversation about whether or not they have a right to feel sad right and they can feel as sad as they like that doesn't mean I have to feel that level of guilty what I actually Mm -hmm. feel is I want to get better at this and I don't feel bad that I need to learn right right so what's the thing we're trying to indicate to people right what are we what are we trying to say if what we're trying to say is I want to be an ally I want to be in relationship with you. That's the thing we need to be saying, not arguing about whose fault it is or what happened or either some long sob story about what a bad person I am and how awful I am. Yeah, that's And then you have to make me feel better or just that ineffectual sorry. So, okay, so sorry is not a useless word, but it's not a magic (laughs) word that fixes everything in an instant. But we went way off train here. You were telling us this first story... Yeah, about what you did wrong. So you could get to another story and I can't remember what it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the ice cream story. So this is like the larger thing that I've been thinking about a lot, which is when I was a little kid, um, I don't remember this story because I was in diapers, but it was told to me every damn time we ate ice cream for my so entire childhood. So clearly it is true. Very important story. <laughs> it is so possible. Wendy and Tilo would have been like, I don't know, four and five, something like that. And I was in diapers and not there. And my dad dished them each a bowl of ice cream. And he handed it to them and Tila said, Wendy's ice cream is more than mine. And my dad took a bite. And then Wendy said, Tila's ice cream is more than mine. And my dad took a bite. And then Tila said, Wendy's ice cream is more than mine. And my dad is like getting full and worried Mm. about the future of his children who do not seem to get it. Or enjoying his ice cream. (laughs) And enjoying his ice cream. And finally, Wendy's like, no, no, wait, this is terrible. Both of our ice creams are getting smaller and smaller. And, um... I've been thinking about that a lot, how sometimes when I'm in a group, be it Unitarian Universalists or poly people or liberal people or whoever, we're in a group of people and someone does a thing that is challenging or problematic. And sometimes you're, you have someone's back and you're like, oh, did you know that 
maybe you didn't intend to. There's a piece of information you're missing. That's cool. Sure. I like it when people do that. But sometimes you're like, they're embodying this in a way that I don't necessarily approve of. Mm-hmm. So in Unitarian Universalism, there are, there are some values that we all share. And then there's some things that we feel differently about. Mm-hmm. And there's always this urge when someone says, blah, blah, blah is a Unitarian position. And you want to get in there and be like, well, actually, I don't know that that's the best way to say that or the best way to do that. And then it's like you're taking bites of each other's ice cream. So now mm-hmm. instead of making their thing... They're discussing with you about making their thing. And for you, instead of making your thing, you're now arguing with them about their thing. So we're all Mm. wrestling with the steering wheel. Whereas if I could just learn, and I suck at this, to ignore (laughs) the person who is doing the thing in the way that maybe I don't agree with and focus on doing the thing the way I want, Mm -hmm. then if their thing is truly not awesome, it's probably just going to die out because people who are building right. non-awesome things that's not that relevant. And if their thing is great, but a different kind of great than my thing, now we have two great things. Exactly. And why can't I learn to do that? Oh, uh, that's hard. <laughs> so I'm hoping that you could fix that in me during this podcast. <laughs> I, uh, let me reach for my magic wand now. Uh, oh, can I tell you? I want to tell the listeners. Okay, one more story, but this is one that makes you look really good. Because well, sometimes I'm a fan of that. <laughs> sometimes you actually do have to say something. And I remember once when the kids were little and we were in the grocery store and there was this woman who was being awful to her children, like really viciously mean. And I don't believe she was just Jesus shut down at these. She was at the end of her rope. Yeah. And I don't believe in criticizing each other's parenting, but I also do believe that sometimes a child is being hurt and you have to step in and sometimes we ignore things too much. So I didn't know what to do. I said, Dad, what do you do in this situation? Because I don't want to scold you should be a better mother. And I don't mm-hmm. want to just ignore these you children who are being hurt. And Anne turns to the woman and goes, oh, my gosh, I remember trying to get through the grocery store with children. It is so awful. <laughs> what could I possibly do to help? And this woman was totally transformed by that. Like, it was a way of saying to her what you're doing isn't okay. It was a way of stepping between her and the children and, and changing that interaction. But it was also, like, very kind and compassionate and made her feel less exhausted and loved and cared for. Mm. I thought, oh, I mean, I don't think you solved her problems. <laughs> but I thought, Pretty I sure she still had children and a grocery store. <laughs> and diapers yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But that's the thing I want to do. So that's sort of why I told you the story is because you embody that wisdom. Did you know? Aw, thanks. <laughs> the pressure's on you to tell a story because I told three and now it's a I love when you tell nice podcast. stories. I have a funny grocery store a story oh, tell me the that story. Has, that has nothing to do with anything. I'll make um, a moral up afterwards. I'm theologically educated. So I love grocery shopping. I don't know why. I just, it makes me happy. Which was fun mm-hmm. for Liz and I because Liz didn't oh, yeah. love grocery shopping. And so I used to do both of our grocery shopping, but she let me use her car when I didn't have one, which was kind of a miracle <laughs> in both of our lives. Yes. Anyway, when my eldest son was little, and I mean like toddler, babyish, little, just barely eating little. We used to go to the grocery store and I would put him in the grocery cart. And of course, like all little people, they want to eat all the things. And so I would try to give him things to hold so he could just carry things. And one day I, um, I gave him a red pepper to hold thinking he is not going to eat this thing. <laughs> First of all, it's not easy to eat with two teeth. But also, it's a red pepper, right? It's not a banana. It's not a chocolate bar. It's not anything like that. Anyway, by the time we got up to the counter, red pepper juice and drippings everywhere, all the way down the front of him. And the cashier, bless her heart, 
just looked at me, laughed, and said, how about I just weigh this one twice? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This was a flawed parenting moment. (laughs) No, that was a great parenting moment. You got peppers in your kids. I know, but you're not supposed to consume the food before it's weighed and paid for, but yes. I'm really glad she didn't think it was blood. (laughs) Yeah, he was still holding pepper remnants. It's okay. (laughs) I remember Eric once looking at Anthony going, you have to go get changed because Alex has told me it's socially inappropriate to have blood on your clothing. Okay, well, good to know. It's important to have it out. When when you were telling the ice cream story, I was thinking about the story that used to save me with the boys when they were little all the time. And that was the one cuts, one chooses. Oh, yeah. You know that deal? So the kids would always just like with your sisters, the, this one has more ice cream. And ice cream is such a variable thing, really, people. like It's hard to measure that right. So we used to do the, um, you know, if you bring home a cake or something, then... And it's, you're down to the last piece and you're going to share it. One cuts it. The other one gets to choose which piece they get. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great tip for um, all of our lives and the way we work together as well, is that if you think you should get to cut and get to choose, you <laughs> might be a little power and control hungry. It's like that philosopher who made the experiment where we have to design society without knowing who we will be in society. Like, will we be Mm. disabled? What race will we be? All that kind of stuff. Design the rules of society without knowing where you'll be. And that that would Mm -hmm. theoretically be the people who would design the perfect society. Sort of like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a trick for if you have more than two kids, which is Mm -hmm. that someone moves. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, that was judgmental. <laughs> the trick is condoms. I'll just back off the that. condoms. <laughs> oh, my God. I was telling Eric about how I wanted to have condoms for the hysterical society with, you know, our for when thoughts and prayers are not enough sticker. I want to make condoms that mm-hmm. say, one of them would be like, come, come, whoever you are, which is the name of one of our hymns. And one of them Wall. would be for thoughts and prayers are not enough. And Eric looked at me and he's like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, for when thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And he's like, why would sex help when thoughts and prayers aren't enough? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> using a condom when you have sex. And he's like, there are people who don't use condoms when they have sex. But do you do people not understand how procreation works? Wow, you old guys are. But dumb. his idea that a condom was sex. Thank you, 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 sexuality education for teaching him that because I didn't. Well, I did a little. <laughs> they did it better. They did it better. Oh my god, they so did much it better. better. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take us back to the notes for a second. A friend of mine who is also a podcast listener was messaging Yay, me. for podcast Yay, listener friends. Hi! I won't say her name because of what next, next she says. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Protect the innocent. Got a baby and a toddler and she's like, this pandemic, like, I love my children, but I'm not enjoying right. parenting. And I'm seeing this message starting to crop up like, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and it's pandemic time or a baby and a toddler. And the first thing I want to say is you're not doing it wrong. And also when your babies are little, many people, even the ones who love mothering so much, want to kill them. But I wanted to ask, what were like the little things that got you through when you were parenting in non- Hmm, good question. Okay, so um, parenting advice. My parenting advice is if you think you can do it alone, you're going to suffer. Mm. So even though lots of the time it was just me and the boys, um, what made it better always 
was being in relationship with other people and especially other people who had kids. And that's really hard in a pandemic, but we still have Zoom and we still have distanced outside things and there are still ways that we can connect with one another. And maybe, you know, texting is one of my favorite things because it happens instantly and you can just be like, I am just not doing okay right now. And the other person can say, I hear you. I love you. Hang on. And sometimes that's all it takes is knowing that somebody else gets that you are struggling and you're suffering, like trying to be a superhero. We try to be superhero parents and we have this expectation of what is perfect. And either we're modeling ourselves after somebody we thought was brilliant or we're modeling ourselves against somebody we thought was awful. And this Mm -hmm. idea that we're going to be perfect is so wrongheaded. So every piece of information that reminds us that we are not going to be perfect at this is really good. So you need a friend who can say that to you. Liz was my friend who could say that to me. No, Anne, you're not perfect. Oh, how helpful that is. You know, I really one of, feel like I didn't say that that much. You didn't say it like that. <laughs> you said it like you told people not to criticize the grammar. Oh. <laughs> you're like, this is the way I think things should be done in the world. I remember thinking you were wise and knew the answers to everything. Like, mm. because Anne knows how to do almost anything. If you're like, how do you unclog this toilet? How do you run this sewing machine? How do you I am make your own yogurt? Like- <laughs> I am handy. Also, I have spent, when my kids were little, I lived in the downtown Saskatoon Public Library. They have this <sighs> brilliant children's section with a million books, comfortable seating, and toys. And so when it was minus a billion and we were freezing and the kids were owly and they didn't know what to do, we would go to the library and the kids would play and then we'd get a bunch of books and take them home. And I read every single book in the how-to section (laughs) because (laughs) I wanted to know how to have a good and happy life on $12 a year, right? So so I, I... have consumed a lot of knowledge in trying to have a good life. (laughs) Sometimes you have to stop consuming knowledge and just be. But I want to tell you a story about how um, having Liz as a parenting partner from across six blocks away or so um, was transformative for me. So um, I have this core belief that no matter what, I want my children to know that they are loved and they are cared for. I want you to be well and happy as best you can within your circumstances. I want you to have a good life, but I want you to always know you have this core love foundation thing. I was a over-attached attachment parent, (laughs) right? This is my core thing. And Liz would say to me, they need to be capable. My children need to be capable. They need to, they need to have skills. They need to pull their own weight. They need to know how to do things. And so Liz would negotiate chores with the kids and set responsibilities and do things. And on the one hand, I was all, all the love, partly because I probably wanted and needed them to be all the love for me too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to annoy them. I want them to love me. And you were, (laughs) you have to be functional because that's a big important issue in your life. You need to be functional and pull your own weight because if you're a draw on the system, there's a point where you run out of points. Right. I saw that as how to equip them to be loved in the world because of my experiences in foster care where one of the most challenging things is 
when you are a child or a teenager, you're not, I don't want to say you're not worthy of love because of course you're worthy of love. You feel like But you often do not act in ways that inspire people to love you if they didn't love you already. Mm -hmm. And so that experience of showing up in home after home and being like, okay, the clock is ticking and I have four to eight weeks before these people are sick of me and toss me. Right. Caused me to have a really urgent sense that I want to equip my children with skills and a way of relating to people and a disposition that will mean that as when they are older, they are more able to get people to love them. (laughs) So the funny confusing piece is that in your pursuit of being loved and cared for, you were trying really hard to be functional and useful and, and make people love you by the things that you do. And in my desire for the children to feel loved and cared for, I didn't necessarily always equip them with the skills they needed to be functional and useful. (laughs) And so we used to, I don't know, debate is the wrong word, but we used to have these conversations about what was important. And I think somewhere in the middle, we smushed together. Yeah. And so we would start to shift in, um, in how, in how we parented the kids. It wasn't just all love, it became responsibility as well. And it wasn't just all skill building. It became um, affection and, and tenderness too, and team playing. One example that, I don't know if it illustrates this well, but Liz used to negotiate with the kids what their chores were. And so you have this job and this job and this job. And for a while, I worked for Liz and her family, and I would do the grocery shopping. And I would come home with the groceries and I would have a car full of groceries for four to six people, depending on when it was in history. And <laughs> I would come in the house and I would say to Liz's uh, teens, hey, get out here. Help me with the groceries. And Liz would look at me with this aghast face. <laughs> and she's like, that's not their chore. I was like, I don't care. We have groceries. My knees hurt. Like, come on, help me with the groceries, you little muffins. And they would just look at me stunned and then they would come and help me with the groceries. And I had nothing to lose in that equation. And oh my God, they needed that lesson because I had taught them that you negotiate a thing and then if a person needs something, you go, well, that wasn't my thing. Right. Like I had taught them a total lack of compassion. (laughs) Right. There are things that are our responsibilities. And then there is the responsibility of being human and being part of the family and being part of the system. Yeah, and, and they, they accepted that lesson from you because you were like, I'm in pain, my knees hurt. Right. And you're able-bodied and you're just going to sit there. And they weren't monsters. They were like, oh, yeah, no, I hadn't thought about it that way. Right. And I, it's not unlike my Facebook post where I'm like, you monsters, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Well, no, people just hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And people respond when you say that. And you don't have to say it in a really mean way. <laughs> so. Right now, one of the lessons I'm learning is it's really great to have a support group who is just always on my side, even when I'm wrong. (laughs) So I can just message out to these people who don't know me in real life, uh, mostly, and um, say, oh, this bad thing happened. Bad thing, bad thing, bad thing. And they're like, they are so wrong. You are so right. Sometimes that's just what you don't use that for me. You don't use me for that. I do not use you for that because you will brainstorm the options I could have used. I will brainstorm back. This is what you should have done and this is what you need to know about and here's an app and then there'll be a pause and I'll go, oh, wait, uh, how did you feel about that, Anne? <laughs> Just what I've been told <laughs> right. to say. I'm already mad at you now too. 
<laughs> no, you don't get mad at me. You just don't text me for emotional support. Important thing to keep in mind is that we go for advice to the people who will give us the advice we want to hear. Yeah. Right? So when I need to solve a problem, I wouldn't hesitate to come to you. Because you can bat it around like a cat with a little toy mm-hmm. mouse, right? You can knock it all around the room and see which walls it bounces off. And if it sticks on a wall, then that's the answer. <laughs> Wait, that was a mixed metaphor that meant nothing. Anyway, who cares? Because I don't have to be perfect, right? That's my lesson. But if I want compassion and caring, then go to Lori. I can say, I, well, I could certainly go to my sweet wife who would do that first. But I can also say to you, see, you are, you are a shapeshifter in usefulness. Because I can say to you, I have an issue. I do not need an app. (laughs) (laughs) I need you to just love me and care for me in this moment. (laughs) That's right. And then I will tell you my story and you will say, oh, how does that make you feel? Right. (laughs) And then I will cry and then I will have solved it for myself. Okay, I have two things to say. One is that in the history of time, every person who has said, I don't need a nap has needed a nap. That's how that works always. It's true. That's, everybody needs a nap. And the second thing is, I think that there is a tremendous life skill when you are telling someone something in telling them how to react first. So this was something Gary and I did very well when we divorced. Was I was like, I don't think I can cope with people saying all of the horrible things that I said to people who were divorcing that I was an idiot. (laughs) And I was Mm. like, I remember all these stupid things that I said, and I don't think I can live through someone saying them to me. And so we, we announced it using a letter. And in the letter we said, you know, we're divorcing. We're not going to be talking about why. Cause I mean, you don't know when you're first getting a divorce, you don't know. It takes you years to figure that stuff out. And then you know, you can invite us both to parties. We're amicable. Don't worry about that. And then the last part, I think it was you who suggested this, is like, and this is what we are looking for from you. We want you to respond mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. way. And it was so helpful because the reason people say things, or at least the reason I said stupid things when I would say them, was because I had no idea what to say. And so if you start with, right. I'm going to tell you a thing, and this is the reaction I want, you give the person the out to be wise. <laughs> And to know what it is you need. And then they have to be really trying to say something painful. They have to ignore what you have asked. And I wish I had learned that earlier for all kinds of things that you want to tell people. You know, this is how I, I remember Jamie talking about when she told our, our, her stepdad, my foster dad, that she had gotten pregnant at 19. That She started with, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you this and this is how I need you to respond. And every time Jamie tells me anything big at all, she goes, I'm uh-huh. going to say, she, first she goes, Pay attention. Look at eyes here. And then she goes, <laughs> All of you are going to say the thing, this thing, and this is what I am going to need from you. So please do it this way. And oh my God, that's so helpful mm-hmm. because then I'm like, All right, yeah. I know what to do. And then usually uh, it's what I would do naturally, but not always. It's very helpful. Right. This is what I've learned from right. <laughs> I have a new favorite app. What's your new favorite app? Oh, my God. Yeah. Why have we talked so much about society and so little about apps? WT Forecast. What is that? It's a weather app. (laughs) It's not carrot weather. Why? Why is it my new favorite app, you ask? Why? Because you can set your level of profanity. Oh, it's just like carrot weather. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, I care whether it's the weather app that swears at you. No, oh, so does WT Forecast. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. That, this was the wrong response. Oh, yeah, it's just like Aaron. This is terrible. How do you feel about your new weather app, Anne? Um, I am not in pain, so that is not necessary. <laughs> Thank you very much, though, for your fake attempt at, at caring Shit. about That's my new right. app. And I'm glad you told me this. Those are the two things. That's all I've got is I'm glad you told me this. How do you feel? I'm glad you told me this. I just want you to know that I am paying attention, that there are apps in the world. (laughs) I need your approval that I am not a Luddite. There are apps in the world. Yes, it's a great app because it tells you can set your, even the not profane ones are funny, but I love that it just complains about the weather as much as I do. (laughs) I do not like that Siri will say, Brr, it's going to be co- a cold one today, Liz. I'm like, I don't need your editorial like, from California dipshit. Just tell me the weather. I wish they would make other apps that also had profanity levels. <laughs> oh, what kind? What kind of apps would you like with profanity levels? I think I would like my to-do app to, to say profanity. Or I would like it to be able to say, you have an unacceptable life. <laughs> this list is too long. I'm only telling you the first four things. <laughs> You may choose four things. <laughs> oh, you could get you could get something as a filter for social media and and messages and stuff that is like, I am noticing that you're using these words, which are the words that you use when you're getting into a bad situation. <laughs> Every time you type, you always it could pop up and be like, Are you sure you so always you mean- when you're making a Facebook <laughs> post and you're going to start talking about the people who criticize the grammar, which, you know, isn't really always a helpful thing, although sometimes we do like grammar corrections. Do you know that on the web listeners, do you know on the web um, site for the Hysterical Society at the bottom of every page is one of my favorite sentences in the whole yeah. world? And it says something about um, and gratitude to Anne who reads all the words. <laughs> this is because I made that website shortly after I decided I was going to write an autobiography of my life. And every day I would write a chapter and I would send it to Anne. And she had to read a chapter of my autobiography, completely unedited. And every day she would send back, this is magnificent. This is so good. And I got like a huge chunk of the way through this book before I realized I don't know how it ends. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. But And then like a little while ago, I went back and read it. And oh my God, it was garbage. What were you doing telling me it was good? I was loving you. <laughs> but I need to be equipped with skills. I didn't Writing tell you skills. to publish it yet. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> writing skills? You know where you get writing skills? Writing. Yes, but writing good writing would be skills. better. Yeah, well, that's what you get help for. <laughs> Hank Green. You also did that. Hank Green says his secret to success is giving everything 80% of his best effort. You need to know this, Anne. Uh, because <laughs> if you try to give Thank you. everything 100% of your best effort, you only get three things out a year. Whereas if you do 80% of your best effort, you get 50 things out a year and then you learn from those things and you get better over time. It's true. This would be a better story if I hadn't said you need to learn this. And that is a bad way to preface your stories. <laughs> well, you know, we've already started this podcast with how you are not always ideally helpful. <laughs> so I think this is right on theme. This is right. So I want to speak now mm-hmm. to the people who love the words and the grammar. Back to the website. Mm-hmm. So um, the UU Hysterical Society has a website and it's full of funny things and it is crowdsourced from the crowd, right? They helped you write the funny bylaws and stuff. If you have not been there, you need to go there because it's funny and entertaining and it helps us change the way we do silly stuff. But I would also read all of the words on the website. I still do. Every time you put something up, I read all of the words. And then 
I would very quietly and discreetly send Liz a message that catches the spelling errors or the <laughs> grammatical errors or that you said that three times in a row that I think yeah. that's just a miscorrection because I love you and I want it to be effective and I don't want you to get 17 messages from mm. people saying this says that three times this is obviously not a good website <laughs> I appreciate so, my grammar and spelling being corrected very much I'm trying to learn but to there be is right. a way to help people that is helpful Yes, you feel like caught, not as in I caught you, but caught as in catching mm-hmm. someone when they're falling kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, mm-hmm. and this is what I exemplified doing wrong in the post, because it's essentially a post that's saying, I need to correct you people because you are correcting people too much and you're not doing it with a very nice tone. <laughs> so this is a correction, correction. Yeah. I don't even need a corner. You're correcting people wrong, <laughs> right? So it, it's... I'm correcting, you're correcting because you're miscorrecting. Well, and that's the mistake that I made is I should have phrased it, which I should know better and know how to do it, as as the way I want people to correct me, which is to say, let me tell you a story about the impact of this and let me tell you a vision of what we could be doing instead that would channel your passion and your wonderfulness in that is creating the world you superpower. want. Yeah, well, not this time. <laughs> well, that's how you usually get to your superpowers, though. Your next version's <laughs> going to be great. Just watch. Liz is going to tell a great story with a new vision of how we can help one another. I have a tip that you could include in that next version. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. If somebody is doing something publicly, could be, say, a minister in a service. <laughs> Not that this is a personal story or anything or has happened oh, I thought it was ever. about the story I told you I screwed up in my most recent service. <laughs> that's what you're referring to. Never, no, mind. No. Never mind. No, 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 I'm talking about me. So if somebody does something publicly in a service or an event and you notice and you have something that can help them, it is really great that you can help them. So... Two tips. One, ask them if they would like to hear it before you tell them, (laughs) especially if it's still during the service. (laughs) That's wrong. Oh, thanks for your help. Because sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we quote a fact that is actually not a fact. It's a misquote. Or you pick up something somebody else got wrong and you thought it was real because you trust them and your trust was misplaced. So it's great when we learn. Mm-hmm. And there are gentle ways to help one another learn. And so yelling, that's not true, is not gentle <laughs> or helpful. Um, but also letting people choose when they're ready to hear it is helpful. So saying, you know, I really appreciated that service. And um, I had a small note I wanted to let you know that might be useful for the future. That's a warning to me that says, Wait until you are ready to read this. <laughs> okay. So if I'm feeling a little tender or exhausted or something, I can wait till tomorrow or next Do you week. ever not read it? Like it just sits there? You've got a criticism sitting in your inbox and you don't read it? Of course I read it. I read it in the moment and then I'm crushed and my soul is wounded. And so saying so, read this when you want doesn't work. Reading it, it saying, Being kind and saying, I have a little piece of information that might be helpful, sets a different tone. Well, okay, so there were two things there. A warning is great. Coming at it from a, I would like to be helpful perspective is great. But the third one is, if it is a big, I'm even holding up fingers. This apparently is important (laughs) to me. The third one is, send them the message tomorrow. Let them have today. 
this is how Karen has trained us. Karen is our minister because Catherine and I are on the worship team and we love to rush each other at the end of the service as the chalice is being extinguished and list to each other everything we've done wrong. And then we generally reassure each other because things that Catherine thinks she's done wrong, nobody else has noticed them. This is our our criticism ritual for bonding at the end. And she was like, could we do this tomorrow? Like she still got the receiving line. Can you critique my service at another time? And so we were eventually trained to do this and got good at it. And then services moved on to Zoom. So now everyone can. So I will sing a song and then I'll text Catherine. I should have done this. And she's like, well, I think this was good. But what about in this in the future? So we're back and forth. And then Catherine goes, what I love about Zoom is we don't have to wait until after the worship service to start critiquing it. I am holding my head in despair. <laughs> I, I just am not a fan of helpful criticism the same day you did the service. Yeah. I know, I know it is well-meaning. I know the people are in pursuit of excellence, but people, I'm calling on the compassionate imperfection gene. I feel like your advice for how to criticize people is slowly shifting into criticism of the people. <laughs> I'm realizing that what I'm doing is talking about, like, you know, when, you're, when your kids are in the school play and... Uh. Um, do you have things that you would like them to know for next time? Like maybe it's not helpful to hike up your skirt and scratch your butt during the school play. <laughs> that, that that is not a thing you should tell them the day of the play. When they're preparing for the next play, you might say to them, <laughs> now, sometimes I've noticed, sometimes people hike up their skirt and scratch their butt while they're doing the play. And, you know, people might be able to see you. <laughs> so it would be helpful if you didn't do that. When Anthony was little once, <laughs> uh, he used to sing. He yeah. not only didn't know people could see him, he also didn't know they could hear him. And I remember once I came up, so he would sing his thoughts. So he's sitting there waiting for Mateo to come over. And he's like, Mateo's going to come over and I'm going to give him some of my candy. Aww. And I was like, oh, Mateo's not supposed to. I don't think he's supposed, like his mom's, he's had his enough Halloween, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay. And there's his boss, he's looking out the window again, and he goes, Mateo's coming over, I'm going to share my candy, and my mom will never know. (laughs) (laughs) This is not when you want to tell him you can hear him. No, I never told him that. (laughs) You, no, no, you want to be able to hear him. That was actually bad because he didn't know he was singing, and then when he was about five or six, he was... He didn't actually know that I couldn't tell what he was thinking because he didn't understand how it was getting out. And it was actually a little unnerving for him. So I eventually did say, I don't know what you're thinking until you speak it or sing it. And then he was very relieved. So I don't know what he was thinking about that was so terrible, but he was very concerned. <laughs> oh, can I tell you one funny thing from feedback? I hope you will. Betty messaged me and she said she thinks that the podcast is good, but we could do with some tightening up. In spots. And I texted back, you should hear it before I do the edit. Oh my God, I cut the thing in half. <laughs> and I said, but it's actually kind of hard to know what to cut out when it's your own conversation, especially after you've listened to it a couple of times, it's hard to know what's boring. So if you have like specific suggestions and she says, if you could send me the script, I could have a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> huh, is there, what are we doing that could be confused with being scripted? I mean, I guess we have the script. I've got the like show notes of what we're planning to talk about in front of us. It says Anne's dad told her not to be a hairdresser. Liz's silent song out of Aladdin. <laughs> so yeah, that's <laughs> well, we're not going down that path today. Uh, Popsicle sticks, Netflix. <laughs> I, I also had a piece of feedback from the last podcast. Oh, did you? And that was somebody who wrote to me and said they really enjoyed it. And I like, I, you know, 
that always fuels my little heart. It makes me really happy when people say stuff like that. And they said, also, I would just like to say geese are terrible. (laughs) I was like, we said that. We said that geese are good and also bad. (laughs) She's like, yes, but they are terrible. They are bad parents. They may be good when one goes down in the flying, but they are bad parents. Right. And they poop. Everywhere. That is very true. <laughs> they can ruin a perfectly good beach for my human consumption. I think you're having a very human-centered view of the planet, Anne. Which is really expensive relative to me. I have a Liz-centered view of the planet, so. <laughs> <laughs> so we just don't have a conclusion, that's all. <laughs> We're done saying everything of use, but we can't figure out a good way to wrap up. <laughs> Which is also the story of my sermons. I realized in doing more and more sermons that I can only write beginnings and middles and I write terrible, terrible conclusions. Oh, could you give me advice on this? Mm. Could you send me the script? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just ramble. <laughs> all right, I will send you the script and I will get you to write all my conclusions. Can no, I write I all your beginnings and middles? <laughs> no. You've been listening to The Cracked Cup with Ann Barker and Liz James. Sorry it was late this month. Ann got new knees. She is at home and she is doing well. And I will be filling in the Sunday after next, the 28th at her pulpit. And she is too immobilized to stop me from saying whatever I want. So you might want to join me and the Westwoodians and check out the details for that and other upcoming services and such in the show notes. Also this Sunday, March 14th, keep an eye out for the Pi Day video in the Facebook group, which is sure to start a really neat conversation. And a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters and the EU funding panels for sponsoring that video, as well as for sponsoring this podcast. If you liked our podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you would give us a rating and maybe even a review. And we would especially appreciate it if you would recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or a comment or a comment masquerading as a question. You can email us at uuhystericalsociety at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website at crackedcuppodcast.com. If you liked the podcast, you might like to attend a service some Sunday morning. If you're wondering about this Facebook group we keep mentioning, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash mirth and dignity. All of our materials are licensed under the Truth Will Not Hold Still licensing, which we invented, and which means that not only are you free to use our stuff, you are free to modify our words to suit new contexts and understandings as language evolves over time. Music for the Cracked Cup podcast is done by Blue Dot Sessions and production is done by the saintly and talented Adrian Muhajirin and audio interference is managed by Simba the Cat. We are so grateful that you could join us.